the name that's above every name. God, we are here for you today. And we just pray, Lord, that as we worship you, as we lift up the name that is worthy to be praised, we thank you for all that Jesus has done on our behalf for dying in our place so that we could have new life. And God, as we move in this moment to open your word, we just pray that our lives would never be the same. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, 1030, high five somebody around you. Tell them good morning. It is so great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Nick Newman. I want to say welcome on behalf of myself and the rest of the team here at Propel Church. Uh, we are so honored and excited that you chose to be with us today. If it is your first time, we want to say welcome. We hope that this worship experience is uh, not only life-giving, but life-changing, that you feel welcomed and right at home. And we're not going to point you out or make you do anything weird. The only thing we'd love for you to do is fill out this Connect card at some point. You can do one or two things. You can either drop it in the buckets as you leave today, or um, you can stop by the Welcome Center. And we'd love to exchange it for a gift as our way of saying thanks for being here. Church, could you help me welcome every person here for the first time? We're excited you're here, and we are in the middle of a series called More. We've been talking about how God can do more in our lives, that he is able to accomplish more than we could ever imagine. And on week one, we, we talked about uh, more uh, opportunities, that God was going to give us the ability to move into a new facility down here in Mount Pleasant, the old Mount Pleasant Middle School. It's going to be the future home of Propel Church, and we've been talking about more family, that God's desire is for more people to enter into the family of God. And then last week we talked all about the opportunities that you and I have to serve, to get involved, to use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God's given us to glorify and honor him. And this week I want to talk to you about more vision. Turn to somebody and say vision. You know, punch your neighbor and say vision. <laughs> we believe that vision is crucial and vital for your life. It's vital for my life as well. You may think I'm just trying to look trendy, but I got to be honest, uh, without these glasses, your boy ain't got no vision, right? It is, I can't see nothing. I can't even read the screens. I am blind. What vision does, when, when you can't see correctly, they give you glasses which bring clarity to your vision. And I think a lot of us live our lives blurry. We live in a way that, that we can't see what God is doing. That's what Proverbs says, that when people have no vision, they perish. The message translation says, when the people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Vision is vitally important for your life and my life because vision gives us the ability to see past our current situations, our current circumstances, to see God's preferred future for our lives. Vision is what gives you and I the ability to not just live in this reality, but create new realities that glorify and honor God. You need vision in your life. And so what I want to do today, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where we see a young man named Esau. And I believe Esau's biggest problem was a lack of vision. If you have a Bible, you can go with me to Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 27. If you don't have one, it's going to be available on the screen. Or you can stop by the Next Steps area as you leave today. We'd love to give you a Bible as a gift, as our way of saying thanks for being with us. Genesis chapter 25 
Here's the story. It says that the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Esau was a man's man. He would spear fish, he would bow hunt, whatever else manly men of the open country do. We know he was a skillful hunter. Esau was the guy who would go out and he'd kill his own food. You ever met somebody like that? Like They're like, no, I'm not going to stop at fast food. I'm going to sit in a tree stand at 6 a.m. and freeze my tail off so that I can eat, right? That's the kind of dude Esau is. I think you're crazy, but that's the kind of guy Esau is. But then there's Jacob as well, and this is what it says about Jacob. Jacob was content staying at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game. Isaac is the father. He loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see four people introduced at the beginning of this story. We see Isaac and Rebekah, mom and dad, and then you have the brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is loved by his mother because he's the one who's staying at home. He's the one cooking. Jacob's like doing a, a home economics knitting class, right? That is Jacob. Esau, skillful hunter. Dad loves to eat meat, and so he knows who his favorite son is. It's the one who brings home food. And parents, y'all are like, I ain't got a favorite. If both of them were in danger, you'd pick one. You know it. You got a favorite kid. It's only wrong if your kid knows it. So <laughs> Genesis chapter 25 continues on to say, once Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Esau's been going out into the country. He's been hunting. He's been fishing. He's coming back hungry. He needs some food. And this is what Jacob replies to him. Well, first, sell me your birthright. Time out. In this story, Jacob's, Esau is hungry. Jacob is like, I've been cooking food all day, but I'm not just going to give you some food. That'd be too easy. There's something that you have that I really want. Jacob's name actually translates to be deceiver. We're going to find out what he's trying to deceive him out of by asking for his birthright. In this culture, a birthright is a really big deal. The birthright means you are the firstborn. You are dad's favorite child. You're going to be the one who's going to carry on the family business. Everything dad has spent his entire life working for, everything granddad has spent his entire life working for, you are the beneficiary. You are the one that gets to receive it. And yet every son gets a portion of the inheritance, but the firstborn, the birthright, comes with double portion. You get twice as much as everybody else. So this is a really big deal. The birthright is not only a setup for his future, but it's a setup for his children and his children's children. And Esau in this moment gets offered some soup for his legacy. He gets offered soup for destiny. He gets offered temporary satisfaction for something that's way bigger than he could grasp in a moment. And you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not like Esau at all. You are? I'll show you in a second. He says this. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. You ever been that hungry? You ain't really going to die. But you're just like, I'm dying. Parents with teenagers, they come in like that every day. You're like, I just fed you. He says, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me now? See, what, J what Esau lacked was vision. 
You say, I'm not like Esau. Yeah, you are. Here, here. See, see you, got, you got friends and all of your friends have had sex before marriage and you were saving yourself for marriage. And so you're not asking, what good is my birthright? You're asking, what good is God's plan for my life in the area of purity right now? Or, or maybe you're lonely and you're, you're dealing with the struggle of not having enough friends or relationships. And, and so you're looking at your life and you're going, what good is God's plan for me right now when I, when I feel lonely? I could just watch pornography and I could settle for soup rather than having to deal with my loneliness. What good is God's plan for me now? What good is God's plan for me right now when I'm feeling pain and hurt and I don't know how to deal with it, but right in front of me, I have some soup and it comes in the form of drugs and alcohol. And I know that, yeah, it may be temporary, but it's going to be an escape from what I'm currently facing. See, you and I are a lot more like Esau than we give ourselves credit for. Because it's easy for us to settle for soup rather than waiting on the blessing of God down the road. So in this moment, Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew, and he ate it and he drank. Then he got up and he left. And so Esau despised his birthright. The thing that he had been dreaming about, the the plans, the future, and the destiny that he had for his life was traded in a moment for temporary satisfaction. Esau was going to get hungry again. I mean, this is the story that we find in John chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he says that anyone who drinks of this well will become thirsty again, but anyone who drinks of the water that I give them will have a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. In other words, if you drink from something temporary, it's not going to satisfy you, but if you'd allow God to step into your life, if you've had vision past your current situation and circumstance, you'd be able to see that what God has to offer is better than what the world has to offer offer. See, what Esau missed out in this moment is vision. It reminds me of a woman named Florence Chadwick. She was, in 1952, going to be the first woman to cross the Catalina Channel. We went from the Catalina Islands all the way to Palos Verde in the California coast, and she's heading on this 21-mile journey. She's going to be the first female to ever do it. They had built these special tanks and things like that, cages essentially for her to swim in so she didn't get eaten by sharks because that's not good, right? Y'all seen Jaws. Y'all know it can happen. So she's, she sets out on this endeavor. She's swimming through the channel. She's going and 15 hours and 55 minutes into the journey, she goes up to the water and she says, I'm done. 15 hours and 55 minutes. That's an incredibly long amount of time. I don't want to swim one mile, much less 21. She's in this journey. And she gets into the boat and they're asking her, what, why did you stop? What did you do? And, and she said, she said the, the fog never lifted. I, I couldn't see. And because I couldn't see, I didn't know how much further I had left. So I, I gave up. What she didn't know in that moment is she was less than a mile away from the shore. And so she responds to the news reporters at the time talking. She says, I'm not making any excuses at all, but if I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. That's the power of vision. She goes the next year to try this again, and this time she makes it because she realizes even if I can't currently see it, it doesn't mean something's not on the other side. And if I keep pushing, I can achieve whatever is in front of me. I believe that's the power of vision for your life and my life. 
And so what I want to do today, if you're here and you are much like Esau, I find myself being like Esau from time to time of settling for something temporary when I could have something eternal, when I could have something so much greater and better. I believe that today you need God's vision for your life. I think we need God's vision for our lives. And so what I want to do over the next couple of minutes, I want to read you a passage of Scripture in Ephesians, and then I want to show you what the world offers you and I as vision, but what God offers us as vision as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 18 says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's like, guys, I'm, I'm begging God. If, if God could do one thing, if I'm going to get him to grant any request, this is my prayer for you. This is my desire for you. This is what I long for in your life, that you would receive wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The way we say it here at Propel Church is that you would know God. God's desire is for you to know him. And not just know him, but know him better. He says that you know him better. Then it goes on to continue saying that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, you've probably got some stuff in your heart that you've been carrying that you don't even know is there. And until you can see it, you can't deal with it. So I pray God would open the eyes of your heart. Open the eyes. No, I'm just kidding. Come on, half of y'all went there. Some of y'all are like, what's he talking about? It's okay. I pray that God, the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you can know the hope which he has called you to. In other words, that you would find purpose. You would know his calling on your life, which he has given you glorious riches, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy People. So not only are you going to be richly blessed, but he's going to give you this inheritance inside of a family. We say that you can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's the vision of this church. I believe that's the vision you need for your life as well. So number one is this. The world says know me, but Scripture teaches that you can know God. The world says know me. Scripture says you can know God. I think a lot of us spend our lives trying to get people to know us. It's this inward desire that you and I have to feel known, to feel wanted, to feel needed. We want to be known. Here's the problem. If you live your life based on the approval of others, you will die from their rejection. I'm going to say it again because it's good preaching. If you live your life for the approval of others, you will die from their rejection. So what you don't need, you actually don't need people to know you. You need to know God. Because whatever the foundation of your life is built on determines how you weather storms. So when Scripture says you and I can know God, we have to understand that is an incredible gift to just put it in context, to put it in perspective for you. The creator of the universe, the one that spoke everything into existence, desires relationship with you and I on a personal level. Sin had separated us from the ability to have personal access, personal relationship with God. So God chooses. He doesn't have to. He chooses to send Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't have to die. He chooses to die. We see that in the garden where Jesus is going, hey, bro, if there's another way to do this, let's do it. I don't want to go through with it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. My relationship with God is authentic because Jesus' obedience wasn't automatic. We get to see the fact that God chooses to go into a relationship with us, and he knew the only way to do that was to die in our place. We can know God. That's the beauty of what happens when Jesus is on the cross. He says that the veil has been torn. The veil was what was structured as the holy of holies. It was the place where only the priests could go. So only the pastor got to have access to God. And when Jesus dies on the cross, when he breathes his last breath, when he says, it is finished, that veil that separated God from people was completely removed. And now scripture teaches us that anyone who believes in him gets access to God. You don't have to be a pastor to hear from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to know. You and I have the same access to God because the veil's been torn. It says you can know God. Knowing God is an incredible gift for your life and mine. This is what Revelation chapter 4 says. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were all covered with eyes inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth uh, the, the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, is, and is to come. Now, if I'm doing something day in and day out, I'm going to get really bored with it, right? Come on, some of y'all know you're not rhythm people, you're not system people. In fact, routines are kind of annoying to you. Day in and day out saying the same thing over and over and over, that would get really old to me. But here's what it shows me about what heaven is going to be like. More and more of God is going to be revealed to you and I. Day in and day out, we're never going to have the opportunity of running out of things to proclaim He is holy, He is holy, He is worthy, He is worthy, because God is unending. The beauty of of this passage of Scripture shows me that my current level of God doesn't match what He is able to provide for me. That, That God knows more of what I need than what I need for myself. And through Him, I believe that God exceeds my current level of knowledge. That I can know more of Him. The next thing that the world tries to show you and I is, is that the world says that we can find fame, but Scripture teaches that you can find freedom. See, most of us get stuck on this idea of becoming famous, and, and now it's, it's probably easier than ever to become famous. All you got to do is fail really bad, and you're going to become famous. That's how the internet works. It's easy for you and I to seek out fame. It's easy for you and I to feel like if, if people know us, if people, if people know who we are, then maybe they'll know our heart, and, and, and getting famous would be the best thing in the world. But what you don't see is that the spotlight reveals every impurity that you have. And if you don't deal with the issues of your heart, your character won't be able to sustain the spotlight that you've been given. Right. So finding freedom is crucial. It's vitally important for you and I as followers of Jesus. Knowing God isn't just something that that you and I do in salvation. It's a continuing on process, but finding freedom is where we become more and more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I would venture to guess that you're not perfect. If you are perfect, I'd love to take you out to lunch after this and we'll talk. If you're not perfect, you know you got issues. 
You know there's still things that you're working on. You know there's still things that God is working on in you. And what God desires to do is continue to uproot the things that are of the world, to uproot the things that aren't of him so that you can become more like him. God's desire is not that you would find fame. It's so that you would find freedom. Because I think what many of us don't realize is we've been carrying around bondage for so long that we don't even know how to live free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Turn to somebody and say again. Again. Don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul is not talking to people who don't know God. He's talking to people that do know God. Right. He's talking to the church of Galatia saying, look guys, it's, it's really easy to fall back into slavery. It's really easy to get trapped and to get stuck in bondage. We see that in the Israelites. The Israelites are, are going over and over and over again. They, they, the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're set free. And if you look at this journey geographically, the trip from where the Israelites were in Egypt to where they needed to go to be in the promised land should have been a 14-day journey, except for the fact that it took them 40 years because they were still slaves, because they hadn't found freedom. Because what they'll realize is just because you get out of Egypt doesn't mean that Egypt's out of you. So they would be walking as slaves through the desert on the way to God's promises, on the way to the promised land, and go... Man, this whole like trusting in God to provide for me thing, that's rough. You remember like when we were slaves, we knew we were going to get food. What if we go back? Hey, hey, I'd actually rather be whipped and beaten than be free because I don't know where my next meal comes from. They were stuck as slaves. I pray that in your life and my life, we don't take what could be a 14-day journey and turn it into a 40-year one because we're unwilling to find freedom because we're unwilling to wrestle with heart issues, because we're unwilling to get a little bit messy and let God uproot the things that aren't of him in our lives. Because that's what God wants for you. You say, oh, it's too painful, it's too messy. No, 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 God died for your mess. He's not afraid of your problems. And, And can I tell you, when you go to God with your sin issue, when you go to your problems with him, he's not going, oh, never seen that one before. Like, he's not shocked. He's ready and willing to deal with it. You can find freedom. The third thing that the world teaches us is to discover our platform. But Scripture says you can discover your purpose. See, platform, again, comes with this idea that you and I need people to know us. And if you just discover your platform, then people would see you and they would know how unique you are. What Scripture shows us is that people don't actually need to know us. People need to know God. That everything that's inside of you, every gifting, every talent, every ability, was given to you to glorify and honor God. Scripture says that, that you must decrease so that He can increase. So I don't need people to know me. My, my prayer on a Sunday, if we talk in the lobby, that's great. I hope you and I have a great conversation. I don't want you to know me as much as I need you to know God. Amen. What you need is God in your life. I can't save you. Right. 
I can't redeem you. I can't restore you. I simply get to, to help do the work and the will of God on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. But you need to know God. And when you and I choose to, to get people to focus on us rather than God, we miss out on tremendous blessing. God has created each and every single one of you uniquely, on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. I was walking through Food Line a couple weeks ago, and uh, a couple months, and I had this like Holy Ghost moment, right? Like when you, you get this word from God, and, and you just want to start preaching in the middle of Food Line, but you're like, that'd be weird, so you don't. But like I'm walking through, and uh, I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier in my life, because, you know, I like Krispy Kreme. I know hot now means fat later, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so I'm going through cans, and I'm looking at at the, the cans, and, and I'm starting to read one of the labels, and, and uh, I feel like God speaks to me and says, hey, who gets to determine what goes on the label? The creator. He said, exactly. Because what I didn't realize is I had been letting other people mark on the label that was only designed to be marked on by God. See, for your life and my life, God has handcrafted your label. He's handcrafted what goes inside of you. He has uniquely placed you, structured you, built you together to help you discover your purpose in life. That's what I love about our church, the, the fact that we have this desire to help people figure out what God has placed inside of them so that you can live it out. It reminds me of my, my wedding day. My wife is in the, booth, the media booth today. We've been married for five years, January 11th of 2014. She's incredible. She's incredible. And, uh, and uh, so we, we, we had a wedding day. That's kind of how marriage is working. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of great things about the wedding day. I love getting to marry her and, and all that. But um, one of the things you get at a wedding is gifts, right? I love gifts. So we get back to the house, and uh, we're, we, we got this whole living room full of gifts, and we open up this, this gift. It's a fondue maker. And here's what I'm thinking at the time. I'm a youth pastor. I ain't got no money. I can't go to the melting pot. Now I am the melting pot, right? <laughs> I got this fondue maker, and I'm so excited about it. So we open it up. We look at it. We're like, oh, this is going to be so great. We've been married for five years now. That fondue maker has never left my cabinet. <laughs> Because a gift is only good if you use it. So, so it's one thing for us to help you discover your purpose. It's another thing for you to live it out. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received. So, so you take what God's given you and you actually do something with it. You're, the goal of your life to use your gifts is not that people would know you. Why did God give you gifts? To serve others. To be faithful stewards of God's various grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as if they're the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised. That's why you have gifts. That's why God has blessed you. That's why you have talents and abilities because God desires to, glori to be glorified through your life. Says to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The world says you need to know me. God says you can know him. The world says to find fame, but you can find freedom. The world says discover your platform, but you can discover your purpose. And last, the world says make a dime, but scripture says you can make a difference. 
See, what the world teaches us is that if we spend our lives working hard enough, gaining enough stuff, gaining enough money, if I just have the right house, the, three, the perfect wife, the three perfect children, and the picket fence, I'm good. And you're not. The world says that if you just make enough money and you have enough set aside in your retirement or if you invest your money the right way, then everything's going to be fine. And it's not true. You'll never be able to life-proof yourself. Money doesn't fix your issues. And if you spend your entire life trying to gain wealth, you won't be able to take it with you when you go. But when you choose to make a difference, it can change the lives of other people. You live your life beyond yourself. More money doesn't fix your problems. In the words of a great theologian, more money, more problems, right? <laughs> Some of y'all got that. Now we know you got a past. <laughs> money doesn't fix your problems. Here's what money does. Money reveals the condition of your heart. So Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, it's, it's not like, oh, well, you spend money and then all of a sudden your heart catches up. No, no, no. Where you invest, where you spend, reveals where your heart is. Because right. money isn't evil. It's the love of money that's evil. Amen. Hebrews says it this way. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When Paul writes to the church, to say that you have these glorious riches and it's in God's people. He's, he's talking about placing you in a family because here's what I need you to hear me say today. You actually can't make a difference on your own. Right. You have to be around people. Amen. You have to be in a family. That's why the local church means so much to the heart of God. It means so much to us. So stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. So it may not be popular. It may not be the, the thing that everybody is doing, but don't neglect it. He says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near. In other words, the, the closer we get to Jesus coming back, the more Jesus you're going to need and the more of his people you need. Amen. Because if you read Scripture, Scripture teaches us that the world isn't going to just get better. We are bringing heaven to earth. We are, we are showing lost people how to find hope and trust in Jesus. We are, we are doing all of those things. But Scripture shows us that as the day of Christ's return draws closer, the world is going to get worse. And he says, as things get worse, as, as, as you see the things around you crumbling, make sure you get together. Make sure you're gathering. Make sure you're encouraging. And you're not just loving one another, but you're doing something with the love you've received. Right. should make a difference in the world. I want to close with this last thought, which is this. You were made for more. Yes. You were made for more. See, we've talked about vision this morning, and, and I believe that it's so important because my hope and my prayer for you is that no matter what you're currently facing, no matter what you're currently going through, that you would see God's vision for your life. You would see that in Him, your best days are still ahead. That so often, you and I might settle for soup that says, know me, find fame, discover my platform so I can make a dime. But church, it's soup. Right. It's temporary. 
And if I could just share with you for a moment what I believe God is saying, if I could go back and and sit at the table across from Esau in this moment as he feels like he's starving and he's asking, what good is my birthright to me? I would lift his head and I'd look him in the eyes and I'd say, Esau, what you don't know is that you are a world changer. What you don't know is that inside of you, God has placed gifts and talents and abilities to glorify and honor him with everything. Esau, you might not be able to see it right now, but people don't need to know you. You can know God, and it's way better than people just knowing who you are because the creator of the universe knows you. I'd look at Esau and I'd say, Esau, you could spend your whole life trying to find fame, but man, you can find freedom and baby, it's way better than fame. You could spend your whole life working to build a platform to be known by people or you could discover your purpose and leave a legacy that outlives whatever platform you were able to build for yourself. And Esau, you don't need to make a dime. You can make a difference. But with the dime you do make, we can show you how to make a difference with that too. I'd lift up Esau's head and I'd say, hey, there's bigger vision for your life. Esau, you were made for more than just settling for soup. Friend, today, you were made for more than just settling for soup. Would you do me a favor and stand to your feet for a moment? I want to pray over you because I believe that today there are some of you who need to receive God's vision for your life. Maybe you're stuck in a situation or circumstance and, and your level of expectation or your vision is blurry but today it's becoming a little more clear. I believe that God desires for you to leave here today with new vision, to see like he sees. So here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna pray over you for a moment. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for the ability to, to gather together today, to worship in your presence, to be with your people. And Lord, right now, I pray for fresh vision over every person's life. God, I pray that they would see your power, your presence at work within them. Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open to see the, the exceeding greatness of your power towards them. Lord, I pray that they would see that in you all things are possible and that you are greater than anything that the world throws their way. Lord, I pray that they would see that the days behind them are no comparison to the days ahead in you. Lord, I pray that they would see that you have a powerful purpose for their life, that they were created with a destiny to glorify and honor you. And Lord, most importantly, as we wrap up our time today, I pray that they would see that they would see with greater clarity that Jesus has defeated every foe, every enemy that has stood in his way, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, fighting on our behalf, and through the power of your Spirit, anything that comes against us can be torn down. In Jesus' name. And I believe that there are some people in here this morning who you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't just need God's vision for your life. What you need is for God to be in your life. And we talked about the fact that you can know God, but when you look at your life, you don't know God, you just know about Him. You've heard of Him. Can I tell you, friend, He desires a personal relationship with you. And this relationship is not something that you have to strive for or earn because the good news of the gospel is that you can't do anything to earn God's love. God loves you. 
You don't have to wait to fix yourself. You don't have to wait to clean up first. God came while you were still sinning, while you were still broken, so that you could find hope, freedom, and have new vision for your life. And so today, here's what I want to ask you. If you're here and you'd say, hey, I've made a lot of mistakes, but you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you say, what do I have to do? You just have to simply say, God, today I believe in you. So that sounds too good to be true. Well, if it doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not the gospel. Because the gospel is too good to be true. That God would love us, despite our faults, our flaws, and our failures, and make a way for us to have freedom and relationship with Him. If that's you today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I want you to just make a bold declaration for a moment. Lift your hand up to say, hey, that's me. Need to start that. See those. See those. Here's what I want us to do. Nobody's going to pray alone, church. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, you better get loud for people who just made decisions. Amen. 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 We're going to sing a song now called Tremble. And in that, in this song, it talks about how darkness has no match for the light that's coming. Let's worship.